You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out Race92.com today to see the many different shirts and other merchandising options we offer. I'm your co-host, Aaron Mactia, other co-host. You may have seen him walking out of a great clip with a big old smile on his face. You've probably seen him at a dirt track. He is the man, the myth, the legend, Scott Bowie. Hey, Scott, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great, Aaron. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. Living the dream. So we have a great show today. Our guest is Jimmy Kite. Um, Before we get into that, make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else our podcast can be found. Yeah, uh, Jimmy. uh, Jimmy's somebody I've known. uh, Although you're the person getting on the show, Jimmy's someone I've known for... uh, as an acquaintance for close to 20 years, something like that. I don't know, but he, um, Jimmy's a really interesting story. He, he, uh, kind of came along in the sport at the right time. Uh, young guy, uh, won a silver crown race at Phoenix, right? As the RL is taken off and, uh, he gets his opportunities to maximize, um his abilities and uh his opportunities and he takes them and uh, just a, a good story a good guy uh i've always liked jimmy uh just such a good personality and good guy so i was really glad to have him on the show uh, i think people are going to like him uh he's got some pretty good stories and and um again here i mean here's a, a story it's really a dream come true type story for him he never got the big win in IndyCar, but he sure got his opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Um, definitely a great guy. Probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in racing for sure. Um, and just just loves racing. And, you know, he was talking, you know, he he wishes he could, you know, just any opportunity he has to now, like to get into a, you know, a sprint car, or whatever, he would take it. Um, so he still definitely has those competitive juices in him. And he definitely, you know, still really enjoys racing, really enjoys talking about it. Um, you know, really cool to see, you know, kind of just living the, I mean, the, the American dream back then. I mean, he, he wanted to race, um, you know, in USAC, you know, he, he was pretty successful in that. And then, you know, he got to do what a lot of, you know, young kids want to do racing the Indy 500. And he, you know, was privileged to race in that several years. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, like you said, uh, a great guy. So I think this is just going to be, uh, feel good story that people can really um, you get to know somebody better that you've heard of. And uh, me personally, I just think it's, you know, I, I just think it's such a great story. Um, and something that uh, very few and far between, you know, to see young, you know, some guy kind of gave his chance like that just on merit. And uh, I think it's it was really good, you know, really good to hear him be able to discuss that. Oh, absolutely. And, um, yeah, he, um, you know, absolutely great guy, like we said. Um, and before we get into the Jimmy Kide interview, um, this past week hasn't been a whole lot of racing news. Um, we had a di- couple different races. We had NASCAR Road America, which is the first time they went there since, I think, the 50s, right? Yeah, it's been 60-something years. So I forget, was it maybe Fireball Roberts won last time in the year or something like that? But, right. yeah, um for anybody who grew up watching the Firecracker 400 at Daytona, it's a little strange to see him at Elkhart Lake 
but uh, great racetrack. Uh, by all accounts, it was a very successful event. So, you know, hats off to them. Um, you know, just it looks like the crowds are starting to come back a little bit to the, all these races. Uh, IndyCar's mid-Ohio, that place looked packed. So, good to see. Absolutely. And ironically, I was uh, emailing with our guest from last week, um, David Hobbs, which we're going to have on at a different point, um, probably in a month or so. And he was talking about how, um, you know, how big of a deal, you know, Road America was this week. And they were expecting over 100,000 people. Yeah, and it looked like they had every bit of that. Absolutely. And I was at Mid-Ohio. And it, it looked just like normal. I mean, tons of people packed. Um, I did not get to stay, unfortunately, for the race. Um, but, you know, practice and qualifying, you know, everyone was there. It seemed back to normal. No one had masks on. Um, so, you know, definitely great to be back at a racetrack um, at full capacity. And, you know, everything's pretty much back to normal. IndyCar, um, <laughs> the race winner, obviously, was, I'm drawing a blank. Who won the IndyCar race, Scott? Joseph Newgarden. Dan Danville finally did not fall on him this week. It was chasing him down though. Alex Palou was was right. oh, or yeah. not, I'm sorry, not Alex Palou. Marcus Erickson was chasing him down. Sorry, Alex ran third. Uh Erickson cut cut a nine second lead down to 0.6 at the end. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he was definitely charging. Um man, hard fought race. Uh, willpower and uh, unfortunately, Will Gay's wrist bruised, it appears. Um, in an early race crash, uh, where he and Scott Dixon were racing hard, and Will accidentally spun. Um, you know, whether he hit the curb and got into Scott or Scott pinched him down, it's a racing incident. Um, but just uh, you know, Newgarden dominated that race on one level. But there was a lot of great racing through the pack, and uh, it was it was a good race. It really was, and like I said, Erickson really put on a charge at the end, and and I I think Joseph was looking at you know again one more lap, you know um, Joseph may have been on the outside looking in again, right? And even though you know Alex did not win the race, he's doing exactly what he needed to do to win a championship. He's there every race. Um, so, in, you know, Dixon starting to, you know, make a little bit of a comeback, but um, I guess they call him an ice man, the Iceman for a reason. So I guess it's going to be very interesting um, last few races to see what happens. Yeah, so Ganassi cars were second, third, fourth, and then like 22nd. Johnson finished like 22nd. Right. Um, you know, and you're talking about Dixon. You know, I, I keep going back to something that David Land said during our Indy 500 preview. And he said that Dixon has speed, but he can't pass. And it seems like that is a trend with that car kind of every week where he, he he's fast enough to run where he's running, but he's passing looks to be a real struggle for him. Like, like they don't, there's something missing. And he was, I think he, I heard him say in the interview that they just didn't have the rear of the car on the track. Uh, he just wasn't getting the drive that he needed off the corners. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if that's an issue they're kind of having everywhere. I, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. I mean, they're 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 clawing to these good finishes, 
but they're working a lot harder than they have in the past. Uh, so it, it's uh, the end of the season's coming. Ice Polo is just cool and calm and enjoying life. Uh, you wouldn't know that he was in the pressure cooker of leading the points um, by looking at him. So wow. it's going to be really interesting. I mean, we, we could very well have a, a whole brand new champion this year. Yeah, but yeah, if, if you if you were to talk to Alex and you had no idea he was an IndyCar driver, you I mean you would have no idea. One of the nicest guys in the paddock for sure. I've talked to him a couple times. Super super nice guy. Um, and I think if you would have told a lot of people, um, he would have been in the position a year ago. People would have probably wouldn't believe you because it was a totally different deal. You know when he was with Dale Coin. Um, so it's just absolutely amazing what he's been able to do um, w- with Ganassi during his first year. When you look at, you know, all the other drivers that were in that car, um, you know, yeah. some pretty big names and he's just, you know, kind of running away with it. So, you know, definitely cool to see, um, you know, like I said, great guy. And yeah, it's going to it's going to be a great last few races. I think I heard somebody say this is the first time somebody's led the points in a Ganassi car besides Dixon since Frank Eady. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Which would seem accurate if you think yeah. back. And absolutely. Uh, and they finally have. For whatever reason, they Alex and that team were clicking, and uh, it's <laughs> again, man. We keep talking about changing the guard. Well, I'm not saying they're going to change the guard just yet, but Scott's being pushed. Oh yeah, for the for the first time in a while. Not that he doesn't push himself, but this is uh, he's getting a push from a teammate. And Marcus is, you know, starting to really, you know, pick up his slack too. He's really getting his confidence. That's that's right. what you can really see is his confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and he I mean, he was fascinated that race. That there was no, it wasn't fuel strategy had him up there or anything like that. He was just fast. I and mean, he, like I said, I think he took a nine second lead and whittled it down to point six at the end. So, uh, and you know, talking about Chip Ganassi and and stunning news in NASCAR. Chip, somebody comes to Chip and says, what do you want for your franchise and your team? <laughs> and he gave him a number, and that person agreed to it. And all of a sudden now, uh, I think it was Justin Marks and uh, Pitbull now own Ganassi's uh, team. Yep, at, at the track end of house. The year. Track house owns it at the end of the year. Um, and you listen to Chip talk, and Chip said, I was not looking to sell. I had no no thought of it. And they come to me. Price and, is right. Price was right, and Chip, in true racer fashion, is talking about adding another IndyCar team for next year. Was there ever any rumor of what what that number was? I was just curious. Well, there, I mean, so the rumors have it, and again, man, you know, rumors are what they are. But I think they're they're looking at ten million dollar franchise fees per franchise. You know, I think each number is a franchise, so. You're looking at twenty million dollars, not including the assets. And I read somewhere where at that number, Dale Jr. says he's out. He's not looking to move up to Cup. If that's if that's the number you're looking at, he's not interested in moving to Cup. Um, you know, of course, anything changes, and and e reports are just that, right? I mean, everything's what it is right until it changes. So, who knows what the future holds? But uh, he, like I said, Chip just said, well, I wasn't looking to sell, but they come to me. Yeah. And 
they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, and now he's looking to add an IndyCar team for next year, which would be a fifth team. Wow, yeah. I did not hear that, but no, that'd be great. And yeah, I I can't see but this to you know really benefit the IndyCar team, for sure. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's so funny. Uh, Chip's been, I, I think it's just a little over 20 years or roughly whenever Kenny Irwin passed, I think that's when Chip was buying into the team around that time. So whatever that year was. And, um, you know, really, if you look at it, they've had success, but not the success you expect from Chip Ganassi Racing. And for whatever reason, I mean, I have no idea why that is. So it could be any number of reasons, but I think the I think the number stands right now: twenty five, twenty six wins, maybe a few more. Um, with Kyle Larson having almost a full quarter of those wins in the time he was there. Right. So I mean, for whatever reason, that that team just just didn't, you know, just. For the amount of effort put into it, they just weren't getting the wins back out of it. So, right, I, I, th- and you know, of course, as everybody knows, Chip seems to really love the sports car racing. Obviously, loves the Indy car racing. I think that's where his heart really lies is those two areas. And and um, I think you, like you said, I think it's just only going to help his Indy car program. Absolutely. Well, I think um, we'll go ahead and um, get into our discussion with Jimmy Kite. Yeah, everybody, please enjoy. Jimmy's a great guy. Our guest today drove in USAC, later competing in IndyCar and in five Indy 500s. We were joined by Jimmy Kite. Hey, Jimmy, how's it going? Good. How you guys doing? Great. Doing great. Jimmy, been a long time, man. It has, man. It's good to see you on here. <laughs> yes, yeah, nice seeing you, too. I uh, Man, I first met you in had to be 93, 94, whenever you first come back here, right? Yep, it was, uh, it, you know, it's so funny. The, the other day I was telling my story, you know, the story of my wife. We were driving down Dan Jones Road in Avon, and I remember the story. <laughs> I came up here, it was like a month before I graduated that year. That's why I remember it was 94. And I was like, yeah, I came up here just to do this speaking thing and, you know, try to get my foot in the door of USAC back, you know, when we had Thursday Night Thunder. And I go, I remember a big storm came through that night, and that was actually the tornado that wiped out the Avon airport. You know, so every oh, okay. time I think about being here that night. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. I remember that because I went out and looked at it uh, after after it all happened. Yeah. 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 Now you, Mom now brought you, me here from Georgia for that you know weekend, and we just happened right. to be here for that storm. Now, now tell, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Now, you met Charlie Patterson, right? Yep, you knew Charlie, and that's who you lived with, right? Yep, we were staying at his place that night. Me and you know, mom drove me up here, and we were we were staying at his place that night when all that happened. Yeah, I remember that. That uh, well, for uh, like uh, Aaron said, uh, here is a man who, as he talked about, came to Indiana looking for a foot in the door, and he got through that door, and he got to live his dream. Um, tell us a little bit what, what that was first like when you first, you know, when you first decided, Hey, I'm going to take this chance, man, I'm going to stay in Indiana and I'm going to pick up rides and if I can, and just make this happen. What was that like? 
looking back now, it was nuts that I did that at that age. You know, it was, uh, you know, being down south. And I mean, I literally two days after I graduated high school, my car was packed and I was moving to Indianapolis. And I mean, I back in that day, you know, we didn't have cell phones. So I remember my mom was like, OK, I'm going to give you all these prepaid calling cards, you know, back in the prepaid calling cards days. And every three or four hours, you know, I had to stop off at a rest area or something and call her just to make sure that, you know, the trip was going OK, just to let her know, you know, that, that I was making it to Indianapolis OK on my own with a packed car. And, uh, you know, it, it was nuts back then. And coming up here and, you know, I had no rides lined up then. You know, I just I had my my credentials. You know, this is what I've done. And this is, you know, how my career has gone down here. You know, give me a shot in your midget. And, uh, you know, fortunately, Tom Hooker and John Black gave me a shot in their midget and which is the old Subaru midget. You know, I don't know. Oh, yeah. But it was that open. It's crazy. You know, going out in that car and, you know, winning our first, you know, heat race out at, you know, USAC night at Bloomington. And, and you know, that was a really good night. And then we they were like, well, we're going to try on pavement. And then we went to Salem the next week and we won our heat race in Salem, you know, Salem, you know, it's nuts. And everybody's like, oh, my God, this this kid's not bad. You know, he should be a late model or stock car guy, you know, growing up in Georgia, but he seems to really like open wheel stuff. Let's give him a shot. And I just kept at it, kept at it. And, you know, fortunately, that's when the the IRL opened up and, you know, Stuart was getting, you know, his shot and Beachler and myself and Tyce Carlson, you know, all of us came in and it was just timing was the most amazing part of it. You know, I just I came through at the right time you know, some wonderful drivers, you know, Jason Leffler and David Steele and, you know, all of us that, you know, Ryan Newman, you know, we all grew up together. You know, Ryan used to stay at my apartment here in Indy when he came to town to run out at Raceway Park. And uh, it just, those were some, some great times just thinking of the USAC days. And then, you know, the IndyCar days were just, you know, something else, but it was, it was crazy. That group we all grew up in racing against in USAC, we, it was a fun era. We all got to race in. So did you drive go-karts or um, quarter midgets when you were a kid then? Quarter midgets. Uh, I started racing quarter midgets when I was eight. And it, it's so funny. When I was about, I think about five years old. Uh, well, actually earlier than that, my dad used to always bring me to Indy for either a practice day or qualifying day. Never made it to race day. Until I raced at Indy, I had never been to a race day. Which was oh, wow. Cool. And that that's something once I became a teenager, I was like, no, nope, I'm going to go when I'm a racer. So that was something, you know, I'd put in my head that even back then, I'm like, I'm racing the Indy 500 and I'm not going till I am. And, and it worked out. But no, uh, when I was about five years old, I think it was um, my my family's from over in Missouri. And there's there's a racetrack over there in Farmington, Missouri, just south of Peebley. And uh, I was a kid and my neighbor, you know, to my grand, we were over there visiting my grandparents. And I noticed my neighbor friends were going out to the races and they invited me and, you know, I invited dad and, hey, let, let's go out. We got to go. We get, we got to go out to these races. My, my, you know, my friends are going. I want to go. And it's better when my dad tells the story because he says, you know, he mentions he remembers when you know, he looked around the stands and all the other kids were falling asleep and all that. And he had actually told mom, you know, well, I'm going to take Jimmy out there. And when he falls asleep, you know, we'll come back and you'll mean you'll go out. And he said when he was looking around at all the kids asleep and he looked at me and he's like, all right, were you ready to go? And my comment was, no, dad, the feature is just about to start. And (laughs) that's when he knew he was in trouble. But I just I remember seeing a sprint car do a wheelie stand at Farmington, Missouri. And 
for so many years. My goal in life was to drive a sprint car at Farmington, Missouri. And I didn't realize that I was actually going to have to drive quarter midgets, mini sprints, <laughs> right. sprint cars, silver crown cars, the Indy 500. And then I finally got to go back and run a sprint car <laughs> in Missouri, but I finally got to do it. Oh, man, that's great. Um, yeah, and you even took 100 bucks off me and Critter uh at Terra Hope we sponsored the heat race. Yeah. And you uh there's a I got a photo somewhere of Critter handing you the hundred bucks. That uh, was a super days. <laughs> that's right. And you were really uh Eric Gordon drove that car and uh may I forget who all who else, but you really had kind of more success of it than anybody else. Um it just had some you know the motor just man as much as they worked on it it didn't always want to last but so yeah. what kind of motor? Um, I'm sorry. You, did you say Subaru? Yeah, yeah. Subaru. <laughs> it looked like a Volkswagen. So it was, you know, it was a flat engine, you know, two cylinders on one mm-hmm. side, two on the other. But it had more horsepower in the Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. So we were all like, man, this is the the next, you know, greatest big thing. But you know, like you said, it just wouldn't last. Um, ton of horsepower, and they they put so much time and effort into that yeah. engine. But it just we just couldn't get it to last, and and. It, we had some really, really great runs. Um, if the thing would have lasted, you know, and it's funny because there's some years in Indy cars, I could say the same thing. You know, it reminds me of the blueprint days where it's like, man, if we just could have finished one of these races, we were running in the top five, you know, where would things be now? But just sometimes things like that happen. I got a really good friend named Jeff McLeod and uh, Jeff was from Georgia. And uh, he's like, man, I remember watching Jimmy race down in Georgia. Mm-hmm. He said, then I get up here and then, you know, and then he's racing up here. It was, it, and it's funny that down there, you know, it's late model country, obviously. So sure. all the tracks are real big sweeping or fast. I mean, they're all three eighths mile, half mile tracks. So I think that's what helped me a ton when I came up here was Salem and Winchester and some of those tracks. They didn't scare me as bad because I was running dirt tracks shaped like that. You know, it, it, <laughs> some of those tracks down there. What what took me more getting used to was the small bull rings. I mean, I I struggled with the small bull rings when I came up here because it just wasn't down there, which is funny now that I look back at it, that the, the big tracks didn't scare me up here. You know, that's what I was accustomed to down there growing up, you know, 15, 16 years old. I'm already running, you know, 130 miles an hour in these cars, and it's like, you know, 140, and it's like, oh, this is no big deal. But, man, why can't I get around these little tracks? Well, these little tracks too are, you know, can be like hand-to-hand combat at, at times. I mean, you know, establishing your position, and, you know, sticking it in there and leaning on people and that, that stuff you just don't do at the speed you were running before. Exactly. Uh, and it's uh it it does it takes a lot I think to get used to if you're not used to that. Um you know, and so it, you know, and then, like you said, you really were here um, part of those glory years um, through ESPN days, you know, Thursday Night Thunder and Saturday Night Thunder and all that. And, um, and boy, you know, you look back out today, and I, I, maybe you do as well. At the time, you took it for granted, but, you know, Dio had his racing show, and uh, there was so much coverage, and there was so much, you know, um, just, uh, you know, I mean, the names were out there is what I'm trying to say. And not only was it national, 
uh, you know, in Speed Sport and places like that or Open Wheel, but you had a lot of local coverage. And, you know, it was shown, some of the stuff was shown on local TV. And, um, man, I think it all just really helped drive that generation of driver um, to, to get the opportunities they got. It did. I mean, it was, that was the whole thing was you knew if you could win, you know, in, in the midgets or sprint cars and stuff, you know, you, you would get a silver crown ride. And then that was, you know, the silver crown deal back then, you know, that was, if you could win in a crown card, then you were going to get uh, a nationwide test or an IndyCar test or something. And it's, you know, fortunately I was able to do both. You know, I, I got my, my test on the stock car side and did that. And, you know, I did my stuff on the IndyCar side and, you know, I was able to do both and it was fun, but it's like you said, it was, when I look back now and the, the guys that, you know, we raced against and just that era, I mean, it was, we were so lucky. I mean, like oh, yeah. in the middle of it, you think it's going to last forever. Like, oh my God, you know, the feed, this is going to be USAC forever, you know, Thursday Night Thunder. And I'm just happy to be doing it these couple of years. But then when all is said and done and it's gone and, you know, we don't even have Thursday Night Thunder anymore. It's so awesome to look back and just think about how lucky we were you know i didn't even mention kenny Irwin earlier you know like just how many awesome drivers you know casey kane and you know i can just you know, we can keep naming them that we all got to race against and Paige jones yeah you know. we, yeah exactly you know we all won races and that's you know what got us the shot to be able to do what we got to do whether it was on the nascar side or the indycar side or you know world of outlaw whatever you wanted to do back then it's like if you won a, a prestige, you know, USAC race back then. I mean, you basically could do what you wanted. You know, you at least got a shot, and the, the team owners, you could get home, and your phone was there was voicemails. You know, like again, you know, there's no cell phones back then, but either your pager was going off, or when you got home, you know, you you, you had the, the voicemails and stuff. I I remember when I won the Copper World, got back home to hang out with mom and dad in Georgia, and we went out to eat one night, and came home. And I had a, a voicemail on the phone from Larry Curry, you know, from Menards. And he had mentioned, you know, me maybe driving the midget for him. And my mom may or may not still have that cassette tape <laughs> from, from our phone back then. God, that's Larry Curry on our phone. You asking you if you'd be interested to drive a car, you know, it wasn't the Indy car, but it was still that, that was so neat. And I swear my mom kept that cassette tape, even when she got the next phone. That didn't even have cassette tape anymore, you know, back when voicemail for cassette tape. I think mom might still have that. <laughs> you, awesome. um, you know, and you mentioned that uh, when the copper world and people today, again, this is something that's went away. And I, I can't describe to people who weren't there how great the copper world classic was. Oh my God. It was, I mean, fortunately, the, the year I won wasn't my first year out there. You know, I got to go out there and see it before. And it is nuts because it was it was a month before anybody's racing season started. So nothing was racing. So and it, you know, it, it obviously you know, we lived up north, you know, everybody was sick of the snow. You know, we just wanted to go, you know, get out of that. And even down south, there was nothing really going yet. So I mean, I remember the first year I went out there and wasn't even racing in it. I was overwhelmed with the people that were out there. I mean, whether it was Dave Blaney and Jack Houghtonshield from, you know, from the World of Outlaws or IndyCar drivers or NASCAR drivers or, you know, whatever, what they were there. And that's, that's what is so cool about, you know, the year I won that race. When you look at the people that were in it, whether it was, you know, 
the, the broad spectrum of NASCAR, IndyCar, World of Outlaws, USAC, you know, it just there were so many people in that. And that's what made that race so prestige. And again, there was also, you know, almost 60 cars, you know, trying to make a 30 right. car field. So, I mean, you weren't just you know, given a starting spot back then. If uh, that that event, whether it's midgets, super modified, silver crown cars or, you know, the, the NASCAR series that ran out there, that was a awesome, awesome weekend. And that was in Phoenix, right? Yes. The old Phoenix, the fun, the flat yeah. fun Phoenix. <laughs> the good Phoenix, as I call it. Was this the one, Scott, you were talking about that Jimmy was running down the track? Yeah. So, Jimmy, say, so Haley, everybody thinks Haley came up with running down the yeah, track after the race. But it was not Haley It is Jimmy Kite. Uh, he's driving a car. How did that deal come about with Kaz? Yeah. <laughs> You know, what's funny is it, it was back then, that year, Kaz didn't even own mine. He, they, were, they, were team, you know, they were team owners. It was Bob Horner and Kaz. Right. But Kaz had the other one that, and I, I can't remember if it was Eric Gordon or who was running the other one. And I ran the one that was, it was more owned by Bob Horner. But, I mean, it was still, we were all one, you know, team and stuff, you know, all great. But it was just funny that, you know, Bob Horner had, you know, this 92 car back then i think it was 192 and 92 and i just yep. happened to be in the car but um it was just one of those deals where a friend of a friend knew bob and he believed in me and he was up there i he said he's they sat there at the kitchen table bob horner and his wife and they sat there and talked at the table and you know it hung out and he just happened to be going you know through chicago then and he stopped at bob's house and they were talking and hanging out finally when all was said and done he's like so are you going to put Jimmy in this car or not? You know, and he finally, finally committed to let me run Phoenix. And he got home and called and told me, hey, man, you're going to be in that car for Phoenix. And I still didn't know if I really believed him. And then I got out to Phoenix. And what really was crazy was when I got to Phoenix and I saw the car and I had to set. I think it was one of Eric Gordon's old seats, actually, believe it or not, that I feel like he had driven that car and I sat in it. And the, the arm guards were up into my arms. So I had to go back to the hotel that night and get a phone book and sit on that. And I actually won the Copper World sitting on the A through L section of the Phoenix phone book that year. <laughs> a through L. I had no idea. <laughs> but uh, the one, even when I was there, my name wasn't on the car. And I knew it was like, oh, this really is a one shot deal. I mean, and I'm, you know, a 20 year old kid. And I was like, man, I, I just hope I make the race, you know, so they want to take me to IRP. So the, the funny thing was when I won that race, afterwards you know we're all celebrating we're happy and and bob asked me he goes so what do you need for irp and that right there was just a relief off my chest like oh my god i have a ride for irp well i was excited you know just as excited for that as i was just went in the copper world and i told him i said all i want can i have my name on the car you know that, that's all i wanted for raceway park was my name on the car and they did they they went through with that and my name was on the car for raceway park so now did did you did your car run out of fuels? Is why you stopped at the end of pit road. Uh, I how, <laughs> why were you down there like that? It a rookie mistake. Somebody that so rewind several hours when we had the drivers meeting up in the tower, and me and Ryan Newman, you know, we were buddies back then. Me and I, I remember me and him sitting there next to each other, and we're kind of look because we were in the big tower there in Phoenix on the infield. And we're just, you're able to look out and watch stuff going on. And I just feel like we were talking about stuff out there. And I wasn't really paying attention you know, to what they were saying in the meeting. 
all I remember them saying was top three cars go to Tech or you'll be disqualified. And Tech is at this, the Union 76 ball. And you remember when you pulled off turn four, there was the big Union 76 ball there. So fast forward to the checkered flag of the race. It was so close between me and Chuck Gurney that down the front straightaway, I didn't know who won yet. And even through turn one and two, I didn't know who won. Coming off of turn two, they finally said, Jimmy, you won. And so all the way down the back straightaway, I'm celebrating, you know, I'm hysterical, I'm going nuts, whatever. And then all of a sudden I start entering turn three and I'm like, oh, where do I go? What do I do? You know, literally, I just won this race. What do I do? You know, what do I do? And I saw that Union 76 ball. And all I could think of in my head was hearing them in the meeting say, top three cars go to tech or you'll be disqualified. So I literally coming off turn four, made a hard left turn, stopped right by the Union 76 ball and was like, all right, this is tech. We're good. And Bill Marvel came up to me and he goes, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I just they told me to go to tech or the car will be disqualified. And he goes, no, no, no. You need to go down you know, to the front straightaway. That's we're celebration. You know, that's you know, that's what we're celebrating. So if you actually see the video, Bill Marvel is right next to me. You know, he all the way next to me, all the way down that front straightaway. Me and him had that little sprint together the whole time. And I started going down pit road and he's actually the one that said, get out there on the front straightaway and enjoy this. You know, you celebrate. So that was, I can thank all that to Bill Marvel. Yeah. People don't know this. Uh, Bill Marvel, long time um, competitor in racing. Uh, his family, all of his family has been in the sport uh, and he's worked for USAC for a lot of years. Uh, a lot of people don't understand how much PR work uh, he did behind the scenes. Uh, he promoted Texas World, uh, I believe, a couple times, and, and amongst other things, he promoted. You know, and unfortunately, we lost Bill. I think it was last year. Um, and Bill, obviously, he worked. He did stuff with the Pacers and uh, a lot of different things. So, um, hats off to Bill Marvel always uh, for. Uh, he was always a, a very much like was like that, like could get the most out of those situations. He thought like oh. a promoter. So and that was great. And it's a great video. It's just uh, Jimmy's just run down the front straightaway, just smiling and just waving to the crowd. Fun, fun memory. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you win Phoenix, you win the Copper World. You, you know, you got to ride for IRP and, you, and you've got some other opportunities. Um, at what point, and I forget what year was that. What year was that? 97. That's 97. So how much farther along do we go before you start, uh, uh, seeing opportunities that are bigger than where you're at? I, everybody waited for Raceway Park in May, you know, cause it was like, well, well, Phoenix could have been a fluke. You know, we want to raise, you know, maybe, you know, whatever. So I, that at least put me on the radar. But I think what helped me the most was when we came back here for May, the second race of the season at Raceway Park, which back then, again, Thursday Night Thunder, all that. I mean, it was, you know, if, if you were good at Raceway Park, you, you, you were going to be known. And I backed it up. I ran second at that one. Mm -hmm. you know, I remember that. Got by Hewitt for for a second, so Hewitt ran third, and then Pat Abel won in the Hoffman car, which you know Hoffman cars you know, were amazing on pavement back then. So then it was that was kind of like the oh this 
this kid's for real. You know, th- this 92 car never ran that good in Phoenix and it definitely, you know, never ran this good at IRP. So maybe it's this kid. So that's, that's when I started and it just, it worked out perfectly that it was May. So all the IndyCar teams were already in town. You know, most of the car owners or crew members were out at that race watching. And so now they're before the race, they're like, Oh, you know, you're the guy that won copper world. And after the race, they're like, Oh, you're, you're good here too. And that helped so much. So then that's when I started getting some phone calls from IndyCar teams and stock car teams saying, Hey kid, you know, we're interested. If you keep doing this, we'd like to test you. You know, we we're going to keep an eye on you and see how you're doing. Fast forward, believe it or not, only a month. And we went out, we had a USAC event in the Silver Crown and Midget Series out at the new Pikes Peak racetrack. The 92 car, we blew a motor in in final practice, so we thought we were done. And fortunately, (laughs) Shane Scully came up to us, you know, him and his group, and was like, man, we only do this every once in a while. You know, if you want to run my car to keep yourself in the points, because at that time I was, I think, top three, you know, I was either second or third in points. Um, So we were right up there, and it was cool they did that. Well, then all of a sudden we took Scully's car. I had to run the B main. And we ended up running ninth in the A in that car. And that was like the, okay, it's not even the 92. You know, this, you know, the, this kid's, again, not, not too bad. That happened to be the same weekend IndyCar was at Texas. And for me and Velez, got into it with Andy Evans. And it was like a week later, I get a, I, I, let me back up. I didn't get a phone call. I got a page. because i had a pager back then you know no cell phone and i got a page from an indiana number i was over in missouri and i was like oh the 317 this is this has got to be important so i i I called the number back and it was luke weathington the team manager of team scandia and he said hey what's a good landline for andy to call you he wants he wants to talk to you about testing the car next weekend so me and andy talk and we were going right back to Pikes Peak, the same track, you know, that I just ran that at, which was perfect. You know, I already had laps around that track and not many, you know, people did. And the funny part was they, he'd asked me, you know, how fast I can get to the airport in St. Louis and then get over. And I was like, well, I can just drive it in the same distance, you know, same time. I will get there foot to the floor. And I did. And I made it all the way to the Putnamville exit before I got pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the poor police officer pulled me over. I mean, I was, I already, by the time he got up behind me, I was looking at the Putnamville sign. That's every time I drive down 70, I look at that and I still have a little giggle and a cheer of just that moment of remembering how excited I was. I just got an, you know, an IndyCar test and uh, he, he pulled up to, you know, he came walking up to the window and I already had my ID and everything out ready for him. And I'm smiling and happy. And he had to think I was nuts because like, dude, I'm about to give this guy a ticket. Why is he so happy? And I told him, I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I just got an indie card deal, and I, I don't want to be late, and I just want to go get fitter for my seat, and this and that. And so he went back, he came back up, and fortunately, I love the guy to death. I wish I knew his name. That he just said, "Thank you. I'm just giving you a warning, but please slow down before you know from here to Indy. Slow down. And by the way, good luck next weekend." <laughs> so I guarantee he was watching the race just to make sure, I, making sure I wasn't lying to the guy. You know, making up right. the story. Fortunately, you know, I hope he watched it and got to see, like, you know, I, I really was serious about that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's uh, 
How about those stories, man? Those are great stories. Anything like that. You, um, you know, and you, you talked about Shane Scully and, uh, Shane Scully was a grandson of Louis Sinner. Louis Sinner, long time, uh, race car owner, businessman and, you know, in racing and other things, uh, made wheels was kind of what they did. Uh, and, uh, one of the good guys, the center family, some of the great people in, in racing. Um, Louis, uh, was always so cool to talk to. And Shane was always so good to talk to as well. And, uh, yeah, I, and I, that does not surprise me one bit when you tell me they offered you that car. Yeah, it was it was a surprise because you know in my head you know I'm drowning out my sorrows you know in the trailer like oh my god I just you know lost the chance to win the championship because back then you know that I didn't know I I knew I might have a chance and I was afraid oh my god if I don't run this race you know I I, I just lost everything plus a chance to win the championship and they came up and was like hey get in our car that just that was how cool it was back then you know it just yeah. such a good group of people and just just awesome people so so where was the first place you actually got an indy car then for testing it was well it was <laughs> it was at pike's peak that same okay. track you know, pikes peak right. Oval, on thursday they gave me my 40 lap indy car test and then that was the thing because when i called as soon as i hung up i called mom and dad and was like uh, so I'm testing an IndyCar next weekend out on Pikes Peak. And and my dad was like, well, IndyCar's racing Pikes Peak next weekend. And I go, I don't. But he didn't mention the race, so I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, I don't know. So fast forward a week, and we're out in Pikes Peak. On Thursday, I do my test in the car. You know, I, I get my rookie, you know, test pass and everything. And as soon as the checkered flag comes on my rookie test, they pull me down pit road, and they're like, all right, first practice at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. So the next time I got to drive an Indy car, I'm going down pit road and I look and there's like Ari Leindyke in front of me. It's Scott Goodyear and Roberto Guerrero. And I was like, oh, my God, like that that was it. That was right. I maybe had 50 laps of practice before they just dumped me out there with those names. And that was it was crazy, but fun. And fortunately, we we did really well and respectable and. You know, I, I didn't embarrass myself, and they let me keep doing it. <laughs> what What do you think was the hardest thing to kind of get used to or biggest difference from going from, you know, like a sprint car to an Indy car? Uh, the ground effects, um, just because mm-hmm. when I was out there a couple weeks earlier in, in the midgets and crown cars, you know, they slide around. You know, you, you might be tight, you might be loose, but regardless, you know, the car's going to slide around. So I get in this Indy car, and for the first practice session, I mean, it's stuck like glue. It's like the dream crown car. I wish I, you know, I wish the way my crown car handled. But the dirty air, you know, when you get behind somebody else, especially on a one-mile oval, you know, it was nuts. Like one time, I, I thought I blew a tire, you know, and it was just I got up too close to Guerrero, and the car just took off. And I, I came into the crew and was freaking out, and they're like, no, you're fine. It was just you, you were close to him. Like, oh, my God, this is – this is something new and different, but the other thing, and it was it was something Tice Carlson taught me after actually the first race when the car was good, car was good, car was good. We actually turned the fastest lap of the race, and I was just trying to pass a guy, got down on the white line, trying to get down below him, and the car spun and backed into the wall. And Tice was actually the one that came up to me, and it was like, so the big difference you're going to learn with 
these Indy cars compared to something else is loose in these cars isn't hanging the, the back out. You know, that that's not loose in these cars. Loose in these cars is the steering wheel starts feeling really heavy. And you may have had a wiggle that in the back of your head, you think, was that just loose? And that's when he said, that's when you either back the car down or if it's a practice day, you just come down pit road and let them see it on, on the computer because you don't run it another lap and say, oh, my God, was that loose? Well, let me try it one more lap because that one more lap is when you end up waking up in a hospital bed, <laughs> you know, back because back then, I mean, if you back these cars in, we all every one of us woke up in a hospital bed back there in, you know, 97, 98, you know, that kind of period. It just, if you back those cars in, it did not end well. What was it? Was it the attenuator or, or what, you know, that, why was it so hard on the drivers? Well, it, at the beginning of 97, you know, when those cars first came out, you know, like Davy Jones at Disney, there wasn't even an attenuator. So that, you know, that's when he broke his, you know, back. And I mean, he was, right. he was really jacked up. So then they put a, a three-inch attenuator on the back of it, you, you know, the little carbon stuff. And I ended up in a, in a Goodyear tire test later on that year in, like, September. I got lifelined out of Phoenix. And, you know, not a lot of people know that because it was a tire test and not, you know, a race event. Um, think, you know, I mean, obviously because of other wrecks, you know, like even at Pikes Peak, you know, Scott Sharp was on the pole and he backed in and the car looked great. You know, it, it could literally drove away and he was done. He couldn't breathe. You know, it, it was jacked up. And what was the problem back then was the gearboxes were so heavy and so stout. Nothing gave way. It's, it was kind of like NASCAR had the problem back then, you know, with the Earnhardt stuff, you know, right before that, where if, if something messed up in the front of the car, they just added another bar. And finally it came to the point where well, something's got to give. So if, right. If the, the attenuator, like mine, it just looked like a pancake. So fortunately, because of my wreck, two weeks later for the Vegas race, they extended the attenuator twice as long. So for Vegas, we all had six-inch attenuators. So that's that was my little help to safety, plus the headrest, which is a whole other story. Back then, we didn't have set headrests. So my guys came up with a, a great idea. And it was awesome back then when I was watching at the shop. They would drop a bowling ball off of the ladder. And they were trying to make a three-stage headrest, make it absorb it real nice. So if we backed in, you know, it absorbed the impact really, really nice. The headrest we had for that Phoenix race or for that Phoenix test did that. It absorbed perfectly at 1G. Cool. When you back in at 96 Gs like I did, it absorbed like a pancake and my head ended up cracking the carbon behind me. Oh, wow. And that's when IndyCar stepped in, and fortunately, General Motors stepped in and said, look, our dashboard padding we have is really dense foam, and it's made for stuff like this. You know, like if people, you know, get into the dashboard of the car, you know, it's made to absorb this. And that's actually when IndyCar and GM got together and said, look, we're going to make one headrest. Every team has to use this headrest. So, again, you know, fortunately, I, I helped contribute to that, too. So, I... Uh, didn't win the races I wanted, but looking at the the safety things nowadays, at least I can say I contributed to some of that. Is this before the safer barrier? Yes. Oh yeah, this is. Uh... When I hit ninety seven there at Phoenix, it actually I backed in at such a ninety degree angle 
that the gearbox punched a hole in the concrete. They actually had to, to patch that up from the concrete, not not safety wow. barrier, concrete. So, yeah, it right. was you hit a ton back then. Yeah, that's a big hit. That's a real big hit. Um, so you're, you you got your opportunity. You know, it's funny, too. Uh, I was not a fan of the split from the standpoint of I was afraid that it was going to really hurt the sport's popularity. Um, and I did not probably look at it through uh, – I look at it through a different lens today than I did then. Um, I, I am able today to see the opportunities it gave people a little bit better than, than I was able to back then. And and you mentioned Tyson yourself and Donnie Beachler. And I mean, we can just go on and on and on. And, and today, I, I'm, I'm really grateful you guys had a chance to do it. Uh, I wish it had been on different terms, but that's just not how it was going to be. But you've so you've got your opportunity and you're running your indie car. What uh I mean, how many races did you run for Andy Evans? Uh I ran the the last four races of ninety seven and then the first three races of ninety eight. And I don't know what the whole conversation was with him and, you know, cause we ended up 97 with old Navy was our sponsor and they were mm-hmm. awesome. And then at the start of 98, like we thought we were going to, you know, we literally thought they were coming back on board and at the last second they didn't. So Andy ended up putting the bill, you know, for my first couple of races and we were, we were right up front. We we're fast at testing at all the, the events. We tore up some stuff though. And, and sadly he, uh, me being a 22 year old kid at that time, just 22, we went to Indy and we were fast there. We were testing, we were quick. But Andy's comment to me and and was if we don't settle on the pole or win the race, we're not going to Texas. And as a 22-year-old kid, I'm like, well, I want to go to Texas. You know, I, I literally was leading Charlotte, you know, a couple months ago. You know, I should have won Charlotte, you know, so I want to go back. You know, high bank, that that's my baby. You know, I want to I want to go win Texas. I want to win Indy too, but you know, I want to go to, to, right. to Texas and the rest of the races. So for him to even put that thought in my head was like, oh my God, what, what do you mean we're not going to the next race? Like, I just signed a contract with you multi-year. Like, now you're telling me we're not going to run. So it's 22 years old. I'm like, okay, well, I need to settle on the pole or win the race. Like, that's all there is to it. And I I did just too much. You know, like, when, again, going back to what, Tice told me, oh, there was a couple times where the car wasn't quite there, and I should have backed down a little bit, and I didn't because I wanted to go to Texas, and I only had two options, so I don't win the race, and I, I will say to this day, you know, we, we didn't settle on the pole, we didn't win the race, and Andy Evans didn't take me to Texas. <laughs> you know, and what I was kind of getting at was... uh at that point there, you've yeah, now your first opportunity is kind of, you know, gone with the wind for, for the moment. And then, uh, but you ended up running 34 races. Um, oh, and, man, I got lucky. Yeah, and, and you drove for probably six teams, five or six teams, something like that. Yeah, it was there. Yeah, at, at least five. Um, you know, PDM I did three, McCormick two, Blueprint one. Yeah, Scandi. I mean, there was there was a, a decent amount of them, and 
I was lucky that they all asked me to do it. <laughs> what, um, I mean, at, at some point, did you have to start doing like this, you know, like hunting for sponsors and it just be kind of come like this grind or, um, when it just seems to me like when you're, even though you, what well, probably one of the benefits was you were so young that you could, the grind, you know, it's not, you know, the future's all ahead of you, right? You haven't seen it all play out yet. So the searching for the money is just all part of the game to keep going. Um, but did you ever start feeling like, man, I, I just got to stick with a team. I got, you know. Well, I, always, I always wanted to. What, what's crazy is back when I did this, it was before the economy tank. So it wasn't, it wasn't the drivers had to go find the money. You know, like when, when teams called me, the first thing out of their mouth wasn't how much money do you have or do you have right. any money? It literally was, hey, man, we'd like to have you in this car. You know, we're, we're, we're just working on something. We're, you know, we have this, like we got a, the guy that's in it now, you know, might be leaving. We, we just, that's, that was all the negotiation was. Like, literally my whole 10-year run I had, I mean, that, and that's what was so fortunate with the teams I did. And I did have a couple teams call me that said, you know, do you have any money or can you have, and I, you know, Look, we can stop this conversation now. I, I don't. I don't have a rich uncle. I don't. I don't have a sponsor. You know, like, there's nothing I can do if that's what this is going to take. Um, I was very, very fortunate that even you know the next year, you know, after you know Scandi was gone, you know, I was down at Disney, and multiple teams, you know, would, were talking to me, and you know, fortunately, those couple of races, you know, I had ran for Andy. I said we we led some races, you know we. We qualified, you know, up front in several of them. Um, we just, I made, you know, good enough showing that some other teams, um, not top-notch teams, you know, like Scandia was, um, they approached me, they asked me to drive their car, and, you know, it carried over into 10 years, which I, I was very fortunate. Like you said, you know, the split, it was it was weird. You know, and the first thing, you know, when that happened, I, I didn't know if I liked it because it was like, man, I... If I would drive an Indy car, you know, I, I want to drive against Andretti and Unzer and sure. you know all those guys. And it was cool that I was in the series long enough that you know my first year, you know, it was mostly USAC guys, but it was still you know, Lion Dyke and Goodyear and you know Cheever. You know, though it was really cool. You know, I got to drive against those guys, and that was that was absolutely awesome. But I got to stay in it enough that I still got to drive against. Allen's or Jr. I still got to drive the Indy 500 with Michael Andretti. And I still stayed in the series long enough that I got to drive, you know, in 05 when I was with Himmelgarn, you know, filling in, you know, for Paul Dana and stuff. And again, that was something, you know, Paul got hurt and they didn't call me and say, all right, how much sponsor money do you have? They, you know, Ron Himmelgarn called me up and said, look, we have a sponsor. You're still the guy I want. I want you in my car. Are you interested? Of course, you know, that's, that's awesome. You'll get in the drive for Ron Helmogard. But at the end, now I'm racing with Castro Neves and Dixon and, you know, Hornish and all those guys. So it was, it was so fun to know that I got to race that whole gambit of, you know, Andretti and then Dixon and Castro Neves and all them. It's uh, it, it, I'm so lucky that the group of drivers that I got to, to run in my little 10 year span. Right. So yeah. kind of going back to when you said you were driving in your car up north to Indianapolis, what what was your original goal? Was it to drive um, 
and the Indy 500 was a derived NASCAR. It was always Indy. Um, you know, it's it's funny because even after I got my Indy car gig, you know, I was still getting you know some stock car offers, and I even went down and you know tested a nationwide car, and I just you know like the, there's still some things in the back of my mind, like that first race at Pikes Peak that I drove the Indy car at. I was new, but that was right when the IndyCar Series 2 had, they were doing the swap because of the scoring deal at Indy, mm-hmm. where they announced, we're going to do our own scoring, we're not having USAC do our scoring anymore. And so I'm in the middle of this meeting with, you know, the team owner and Brian Barnhart and all these people, and I just remember Brian Barnhart saying, this series will never have more than three road courses. It's always going to be an oval series. And I was like, you know, and I'm couple road courses that's awesome you know like i love road courses but i just i'm an oval guy and i would like to do majority ovals because that's my background so right then hearing that from brian barnhart's mouth was like gold to me like okay this isn't and he said we will never run over 20 races a year too which to me that was golden i did not want to go down and run 36 37 38 weekends a year you know doing that like i i love racing but i also like my time of you know whether it's spending time with my friends or family or even back then like my off weekends i want to go run a sprint car you know <laughs> like I, okay right. I'm, not, I'm not running an indy car this weekend i'm gonna go to farmix missouri and run a sprint car <laughs> you know that's just what i wanted to do back then so i loved my off days um but yeah even driving up the highway that day i was there's a reason I left the South, you know, like if I would have stayed down there and I, I think I still could have probably gotten a late model and maybe, you know, had some people talking down there, you know, I just driven a late model and maybe that would have taken me down to Charlotte. But I just, even back then I, uh, I wanted to run Indy and I just, everybody called me crazy. Like, you know, Georgia guy moving up here, well, one open wheel guy in Georgia anyway, you know, back then everybody thought it was nuts, but then, you know, coming up here, I just, I was an open wheel guy. What was that? Uh, what was the first 500 like for you after you got it qualified? After you know you're in the show and, you know, you do all the pre-race festivities, whether it's the, um, you know, the parade and all that stuff. But on race morning, what what's that like? Especially because you, again, you're so young at this point. It was way more than I expected and again I'm so fortunate that I got to do it more than once to relive it um because the first was a blur like all the people and walking out and seeing that and the pre-race festivities I'm like the first lap as soon as we took off around the racetrack I was sightseeing more than I was scrubbing tires or doing what I should be doing you know I'm I'm looking at the people on the hill on the back straightaway because I had not, I, you know, I had never seen that, you know, people on the back straightaway in person. And I'm, I'm looking over at these people and like, oh my God, this is, no, look at all these people. And, you know, the guys on, you know, on either side of me, they're scrubbing tires, you know, they're getting ready to go around 200 laps. And I'm literally a fan sightseeing, just like, oh my God, look at this. Fast forward a year later, and it was so neat that my PR guy, you know, I'd worked with before, but he happened to, from georgia too so a year later you know we're with mccormick motorsports and now i knew what to expect you know i walk out but i I kept telling him man it's gonna be nuts you're gonna be you're not gonna believe this so now i'm getting to watch his facial expressions 
And I'm kind of sucking it in. Like, I'm remembering it now. I'm actually getting to enjoy back home again in Indiana and everything and watch his face. And just as I'm hearing back home again in Indiana and really taking it in, I look over at Tom and I see him just looking up at the stands and his eyes are, you know, this big and just in awe. And I'm like, yep, that's that's what it's about. And again, fortunately, I was with enough teams down the road and different teams that I got to see that with different people and different kids and, and different groups of people. And like you said, the younger people coming up, that that was their first 500. Getting to see that and relive that with them those multiple years, that was a, that was a lot of fun. I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, at that point, I think, you know, for anybody who's trying to live a dream, I think that's, those moments are, are as a dream realized, I, I would believe, you know. Uh, I think that's that moment you go, oh, you know, I really have gotten here. Now, I know your goal was to win it, um, mm-hmm. like everybody's, but uh, unfortunately, there's only one winner. Um, so I think the Indy 500 is one of the few races I, I ever hear people talk about, even people that ran it once or people didn't have a lot of success in it or whatever, who always talk about in great reverence. They don't. Uh, you know, it's not. It's just not a obviously a typical race. You know that they're mad that they didn't win. No, it's oh. it was awesome to be a part of. I mean, yeah, I obviously thought I was going to win it, and it's funny because you know my first year, I, I never really had like Tony Stewart. His first year, he had Ari Leindyke and Eddie Cheever and and Scott Brayton. You know, go off of you know like to, their setups, their advice, their their feedback. My first year, I didn't have that, you know, and then my second year, you know, single car team. And it's it's so funny. I always every year, though, in the back of my head was like, I went into the month of May. We're going to win this thing. And I did the best with you know, what I had and what we could. And I mean, that first year was Scandi. I mean, we had a great race car like we we really could have been on the front row. And I thought we had a good race car. And even the next year, you know, I thought we had a great race car. But what's so funny in 2000. I was in Blueprint's car, and again, we had a shot at the front row, and we had a really good race car that year, I thought. And then Jason Leffler was driving that year for Treadway. And right, which was actually kind of a pseudo-Penske deal. Yeah, and it was it was a Penske car as well for him. You know, it was a Penske-Treadway deal, but they also, you know, Ari Leondike, you know, was still over there at Treadway. Well, Jason happened on carb day, Leffler had to go down to Charlotte to run the nationwide deal. So he wasn't even there. And of course, me and Jason were about the same size. So they came down and asked me if I would shake his car down on carb day. So I went out, ran my car and, you know, felt decent, you know, and we're like, okay, I think we're going to be all right. And I went down and I hopped in that car that again, like you said, was a Treadway Penske car. And that, you know, they had been basing stuff off of Ari Leondyke and his feedback and all that. And I got in that car and I went five miles an hour a lap faster than I did in my car, just shaking it down. And the way it felt, I was like, oh, my God, I'm racing against this car. We're we're junk. You know, like I went from (laughs) we have a shot to, oh, my God, we're junk. And it's so funny because after that, I never had a base point of what a really good card indie felt like until that like i went off of what i thought felt good but that was the first time i ever sat in a car that was like oh 
this is what a good card indie is supposed to feel like. So at least years after that, I was able to base it, you know, kind of off of that and learn like, no, 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 this isn't what that car felt like. You make this car like that car. Yeah, and that's a really uh, tricky thing for a driver because um, you only know what you know. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're, and especially in racing, uh, there. And well, it's not going to happen today, really. But it's very few instances a driver can truly outdrive the car. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and you're not, you're not going to do it in any car. No, absolutely not. And uh, yeah, I just think that's. Um, I mean, on one hand, it had to be frustrating. On the other hand, it had to feel good knowing, hey, I can get around this place. It made me feel good. And what was really cool was, and I don't remember how many years ago it was, I was over at Speedway one day, and it was it was after race day, and me and Larry Curry were in the same room, and you know, I was talking to Larry. He didn't have to say this. He, he you know, I. There was no reason. We were just sitting there amongst friends talking, and he just happened to say, he goes, the one thing I can say, Jimmy, is every car you drove every year, you got 100% out of that car. That car could not have gone one mile an hour faster with anybody else driving it. And and to me, coming from Larry Curry, that was just, that was awesome. You know, that was a huge compliment, and, and he had been around so many great drivers and knew people, you know, knew how to get around the speedway. And to hear that from him was like, thank you. You know, so right. thank you right. a lot. And that made me, you know, just kind of a gratification of, yeah, I, I did do it right. You know, thank you. <laughs> so you, you, I think you started with five, five, five hundreds. Is that correct? Yeah. I, I attempted eight or we tried to qualify for eight. I made five of them. When was the last one you ran? Uh, oh, five. Oh, five. Okay. And then, um, did you try after that? Oh, seven. Oh, seven. Yeah, that was Good. a uh, PDM, right? <laughs> yep, that was PDM. And uh, that was that was the first year that there was one engine manufacturer. You know, and I didn't find out till afterwards that and I, I will leave the person nameless. But I found out afterwards that uh, unless there was one certain driver on the bubble, they weren't going to give me enough to to make the field because on bump day um there was somebody on the bubble you know who was you know running more races or somebody they wanted in the in the show more and when it was all said and done they were like yeah if this one person would have been on the bubble you we were going to give you enough to bump him in and that's just that just doesn't sit right does it no it was they they had a little disagreement with you know Diatlovich then too and so they were bitter with him already so it was basically their way of saying look we might have given you a fair shot if we didn't have our little disagreement but as of right now you're not getting in the show you're definitely not dropping you know you're definitely not bumping one of our full-time guys and the only way you're going to make the show is if it would have been this one person and it just it sucks to me because you know especially the the final day of qualifying even the day before you know it's like the car's not gaining speed the way it should, and we're doing everything we should. I mean, the car felt great. It was awesome. And, I mean, I even made a comment that was like, man, this thing's handling great in the corners. It's just not handling down the straightaways, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, sad to say back then. But I just wish they would have told me that, you know, the week before. 
So I wouldn't have been out there risking my life thinking it was me. I mean, you know, because, again, we're still, even though they slow me down, I was still running laps, you know, over 215 miles an hour, which obviously can still kill somebody, you know, if, you know, the wrong thing happens. They were just sitting there watching me go around. And it's just, it's one of those things. I, I know they could care less, but I just. I will to this day, and I still hold that grudge. Nobody in my family will ever own a Honda vehicle. I, I still to this day hold such a grudge to them that it, I despise the way they handled that whole situation. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't blame you there. No. Uh, and you know, what's sad too is is uh, politics have have always played a major part in this sport behind the scenes, especially at the at every level, but especially at the upper levels. And uh, we had another guest on uh, that he ran across a political situation as well. Um, you know, and he didn't really have a good explanation to him as to why. And uh, so, yeah, it's those things I never really understand, but they have their reasons, I guess. I don't know. But, it- part of the world i mean it's it's politics regardless you know whether it's the real world or racing or it happens it just sucks when it happens to you you know (laughs) right so so you've you've uh qualified attempted to qualify in 07 and what what kind of happens to your career after 07 the economy tanked (laughs) That's, that's actually when the whole landscape of you know, racing kind of changed. You know, even even if you look at NASCAR, you know, that's kind of when NASCAR went from there was all this money in racing, you know, IndyCar, NASCAR, you know, sponsors were around, you know, sprint cars, every you know, there was a bunch of sponsors. And then all of a sudden, you know, the whole Enron scandal and you know, so now there was boards watching the money their companies were spending more. That's when the economy tanked. So advertising budgets went out the window. So now all of a sudden there's all these IndyCar teams, all these NASCAR teams, all these racing teams in general with all this equipment and no sponsors. And it literally became, you know, there, you know, until the economy started coming back around, you know, first guy up with a, a briefcase of money gets the car. And again, like I said, I, as far as I know, and mom and dad have never told me about this, but as up to this date, I don't know of any rich uncle that I have that, could, you know, ever got me in one of those cars. And, um, uh, you know, it just, I never got an, you know, an, an, I, I, I won't say I never got another call. I got multiple calls after that. And every one of them started, man, we would love to have you in our car. I get excited. Awesome, man. Thanks. Yep. How much money do you have? Go ahead and hang on. <laughs> you know, we're, we're done here, you know, and it, it sucks that that's the way it was. And, and I got bitter. I mean, really bitter for several years, but, um, I got to go back and still do, you know, some sprint car races, you know, did some musty stuff and some dirt yeah. stuff. Got to go run a sprint car at Farmington, Missouri again for a little while. And I mean, I got to do some fun stuff. So I got to really enjoy it. But right. the, the IndyCar stuff and, you know, even the, the stock car side, I, I was done. And, you know, especially the IndyCar side. And it just, it, that's the only thing that really breaks my heart. You know, I had a 10 year run, so I can't be selfish. You know, a lot of guys, only did one, you know, and I'm very fortunate that I was out there for 10 years in vehicles. So I can't complain, but the one bitter taste in my mouth was as great as a time as I had and as great as a run of I had 
was the way that 07 thing played out. And that was my last chance. You know, it's like I never had a chance to redeem myself or to, to hop in something else that was competitive or that it wasn't that political, you know, like it's just I would have rather have been in a car that was just like, you know, oh, man, sorry, you just you missed it by half a mile an hour. You just weren't quite fast enough. But to be as far off the pace as we were and we all knew what was going on, it just I hate that that's the last taste in my mouth of, of being in a, in a car at Speedway. Yeah. I don't blame you there. That, that'd be hard to take, <laughs> but I still love the place. Sure. Right. You did some, um, now, so you did some NASCAR races, trucks, right? I did in, uh, in Oh five, um, which actually what I was supposed to run a 10 race schedule that year for a team called MRD. And, uh, we'd ran Atlanta. And what's funny is, I ran the truck race at Gateway, and uh, a week later, two weeks later, whatever it was, the next truck race was in Charlotte that I was going to run. I had a little break, so I'm like, well, you know, St. Louis, Charlotte, I mean, Indy's right in between. They're practicing over there, so I'm going to stop by and, you know, tell some friends hi and just hang out. And uh, I come by here. I hang out for a couple days of practice. I go back to my buddy. I was staying at my buddy Bubba's house, and I, I go back to Bubba's house. I'm packing my bag, and I get a call from Ron Himmelgarn, and that's I didn't even know Paul Dana had crashed that day out of the racetrack. And he goes, "Are you still in town?" I'm like, well, "Yeah, I'm leaving tomorrow." And he goes, "Well, you stay in town. We want you to drive a car." And what was messed up was the the Indy car was Toyota, and my truck was Chevrolet. Oh. So, I mean, the first thing I, I told him, I was like, guys, I have to call my, my truck team and make sure that this is even okay, you know, because they were both competing against each other in both series then. So, called my truck team. They said, absolutely. You know, matter of fact, we're all going to come up and cheer you on. So, I mean, like, that was awesome. I was so excited about it. I committed to the IndyCar deal for the 500. Well, as soon as – and we – that's a whole other story, too. That, <laughs> but, I mean, literally, as soon as the race was over, I – I was at Outback Steakhouse in Avon probably before the race was even halfway. <laughs> you know, just I could not get out of that place fast enough. And I was shocked right afterwards, you know, when Ron called me back. And but which he knew what the situation was. And that was I, I voiced my opinion probably more than I should have. But I just I again, when it's my safety and it's something that I wasn't told about, and the engineer wasn't told about. And that's the guy setting up the car. And there was a change made on the car that neither one of us was told about. Again, it's it, it's my life. And it wasn't on a practice day. It was literally race day Indy 500. So, okay. again, I'm out there wondering what am I doing wrong? And I find out it had nothing to do with me, nothing to do with the engineer. Somebody did something behind our back. And so I voiced my opinion, and I didn't think I'd ever be asked back. And a couple of days later, Ron asked me, you know, hey, we actually want you to run the rest of the season for us awesome that's really cool i didn't expect that again let me call my truck team they were cool with it and it was really neat because i was the first person that ever got to do this but a couple weeks later at texas i got to run the nascar truck race the first day and the next night run the indycar race and then a month later at kansas got to run the truck race and then the indycar race the next day um but as this went on we started getting more competitive with the toyota indycar and Chevy and Toyota started button heads more and more. And I actually got a call right after Kansas. And 
was told that my truck team, if they wanted to continue factory GM support, needed to put somebody in the truck that was General Motors loyal. And I was it. I was out of trucks. <laughs> so I, uh, it sucked, too, because it was like my next race was Raceway Park. And again, we right. rewind to the USAC stuff. Like I was like, that was, you know, I, that's the one I had circled on the, you know, on the schedule. Like, man, we are going to make a showing here at Raceway Park and never got a chance to. But then again, I, I'm not going to complain that I got to run five NASCAR truck races. You know, I'm lucky I got to do that. You know, a lot of people never even got to. So again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm complaining about something that I shouldn't be. <laughs> You uh, you mentioned Paul Dana. Did you know Paul very well? I knew him somewhat, you know, not as much as that year that, you know, when he got injured and I replaced him. Um, once he finally got to come back on the schedule, um, the rest of the year, me and him, we all of our, our tours and stuff were together. You know, our autograph sessions we did together, our sponsor engagements we did together, um, really – Really got to know him and his you know wife really well, and you know got to know the guy really well, and you know great family, you know great morals, you know great person, and then the next year you know we were at Homestead, and again you know I was out, things had, had changed you know that year that we didn't expect, but so he's in the Ray Hall car and to show up, and somebody was just like, yeah, Paul. He's not around anymore. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, it just and that one hit, I think, closer to home than any of them, just because the last time the ethanol car was on a racetrack was Fontana the year before and I was driving it. And just to know that, yeah, the ethanol car, you know, just crashed and the driver's not around anymore. That was that one hit pretty close to home, like probably more than, than any of them. Yeah, I I didn't know Paul, but Paul did come to the shop uh, and he would buy tariffs. Uh, at the shop because he was renting Kenyan cars from uh, Mel and Don and would run places like Speedrome and Anderson in that. Really? Yeah. Huh. And uh, and uh, he uh, ran, I, I don't know how many races he ran. You know, he ran a handful. Um, I, I never really asked him why he decided to run, you know, you know the Kenyan cars at Spec Series, right? Oh. It's got the Legend car motor. And, um, but just had a lot of amazing graduates from it uh, oh, over the years. Yes. But um, yeah, I just thought it was so interesting that he was doing that, and for whatever reason, he just come and he found our he found that we sold tear offs at Fitty's helmet, and he would come in uh, every couple of weeks. And he was a really nice guy. I, I felt really bad for you know his family and that, but it was crazy how it played out too. Like. Right when it happened, you know, to, to find out that his wife happened to be pregnant you know, oh. right during that. So it's like at, at least his legacy was able to be carried on, you know, after that. But it was just right. when that came out that she was had just been pregnant you know, right before this. I mean, that's just one of those stories where you're like, oh, my God, that was just kind of meant to be. You know, that's that's nuts. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was nuts. I Yeah, like I said, I, I it felt I felt bad for his family. I remember going to um, Indianapolis Ice or Indian Ice, uh, the hockey league, that they, the hockey team that they used to have here before was Indy Fuel. And this was like maybe two weeks before Homestead, and Paul was there signing autographs. And I went there with my dad. I just remember meeting him, and, I mean, he was just the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, he really was. Um, so, that, you know, I think it definitely hit harder. I mean, I was really – I don't know how old I was. I wasn't very old. 
But it, you know, it kind of hit hard with me because I mean, you know, two weeks ago I just met this guy. He's a nice guy on the roller, and all of a sudden, you know, he's not around. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It, uh, and that, I mean, racing is the one sport, and that's that's what still kills me about you know when I say back in you know seven teams or oh eight, you know, teams were calling and saying, you know, how much money do you have? We love you to drive our car. It, it, racing is the one sport that amazes me. We're the only ones out there. It, every driver is out there and whether you're in a sprint car whether you're in an indy car whether you're in a nascar you know late model whatever you're in you're risking your life every lap you go around and to hear a car owner say hey how much money do you have i mean could you imagine jim ursay 20 years ago saying you know peyton manning we would love to have you as our quarterback but how much money can you bring us Oh, sorry. No, never mind. We're going to have to hire Ryan Leaf instead. You know, <laughs> you know, like literally. That's, right. Right. So like, well, yeah, the, mo- the model's broken. The model's broken. It's been broken for a long time. Um, yeah, it's not going to be fixed. It, it is what yeah. it is. I think a lot of people have the perception that, you know, if, if you're a professional race car driver, you're making a lot of money. Yeah. And that's just not yeah, how it works. As, as for some guys, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, if you're the Scott Dixons or Will Powers, I mean, yeah, you're you're making a decent amount of money, but but you know, Connor Daly ran all those races, you know, a couple of years ago for Carlin, that he never made a dime. No, it's you know, like he was just you know, if I'm wrong about that, but I'm sure that I've heard him say that, uh, you know, that he wasn't making any money from it. He was just trying to stay in the seat so he could get his next opportunity. Yeah. And speaking of Himmelgarn, you were talking about Himmelgarn, um, Jimmy. I think it was what year was um, Chesson with Himmelgarn, and he had the Carmelo Anthony sponsorship. Was that, that, was, o- that was the six. next year? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember hearing from someone that apparently Carmelo never actually paid at all. He didn't. That was actually a. Um, that was a Gene Simmons deal. That was a. Gene oh yeah. Deal. No, you're right. Originally, that off season, I was told. You know, with Himmelgarn, like I was told, they're going to put Paul back in the car, you know, with with ethanol and give him a shot. And then they'd also talk to ethanol about putting you know, me in a car or, you know, if he didn't up speed, you know, put me in his car. Regardless, they basically told me all winter, you know, stay tight. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're going to keep you around. You know, we're going to we got this deal going with ethanol. Well, I think in Paul being a smart business guy that he is got light of this and behind everybody's back went over to ray hall and said hey you know i, I want to take ethanol because you know he we went to ethanol and said we can get you on danica's car and that's all it took back then you know oh five you know that was danica mania and uh so i got it i mean i literally got a call two days before christmas from one of the crew guys saying dude paul just took ethanol and we don't have any jobs we don't have anything we don't know what we're going to do and so that was actually that whole winter became a panic, you know, with Himmelgarn and all that. And so, yeah, like you said, you know, they were talking to the IndyCar series and Gene Simmons. That's when Simmons was in. And Gene Simmons came up with this great idea of, yeah, we're going to put Carmelo on it. And this is going to make us all millions and millions. And nobody made a dollar on it. <laughs> so and that was sadly, you know, the downhill from, you know, Himmelgarn's, you know, Indy, yeah. Indy stuff. And they, uh, I think it even had Mello on the side of the car right up until race day, yeah. I think. And they pulled it yeah. off race day. Yeah. Did they? I thought it was on race day. Maybe maybe it wasn't. I don't think so. I think they oh. pulled it off race day. 
I don't, I, I do not remember. I just, I remember, I know down at Homestead when I was down there, it had metal all over it and they were kind of like, yeah, it'd be nice if we got a check. And that was back in, you know, March, first part of the year. And then, like you said, you know, month of May, I was walking around and, you know, they, yeah, I, I, I can't remember if it had it on it or not. I do not remember. I could be wrong, but I, I thought they pulled it off like that morning. And well, very well may have. And part of the reason why we may not remember, I, I think PJ was out in the first lap. I think he was involved in a yeah. wreck with um, Jeff Bucknam, I think. Yeah, they were teammates. They were both Himmelgarn cars. They both went out in that, that turn two accident. Yeah. Now, another reason that Ron was, because he, he all the sponsor money he thought he was going to get, and then he ended up getting none, and then both cars took each other out in, in lap, you know, turn two, lap one, and just, and they just kind of did Ron in, on, you know, for, for the most part. <laughs> funny, so f- funny story about that. And I think you actually know this guy, Jimmy, because he's talked about you a lot. Ed, I can't talk. Ed Matson. Oh, yeah. Love that guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, my dad's, me and my dad are both real good friends with him. But there is a funny joke. Um, so 2006, he had some kind of um, health incident during the race. He's had a couple of heart attacks and st- stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and our friend Jim was joking, saying, we lost Jeff Bucknam, PJ Chesson, and Ed all in the same lap. <laughs> oh, because he, he got they had to take him to the um, the infield care center during that. But Ed, you know, Ed j- jokes about that now. It's kind of funny. My, that rookie year in '98, when I was at Scandia, um, you know, Matson actually came up, and their license plate was Kite Fan One. Back, <laughs> like it was like that's how far back this right, goes. Right. When we would show up every year and whether his kids was with him or it was just pictures, like, I cannot believe, you know, his youngest daughter, I remember her when, you know, she was a baby and now it's like, you know, she had a baby message. Yeah. Like she's having babies now. And I'm like, no way. I remember when she was a baby. So it's crazy, you know, but you have that racing family. Unfortunately, when you're around it long enough, you know, it's, it just, we all, you know, we're not family, but we are, you know, now it's like we all become a racing family and whether it's distant cousins or whatever you want to call it but i mean we all become a, a racing family yeah we went to milwaukee with um with ed and I, this is probably oh, 2012 or 13 or no it's probably way before then it's probably like 2008 2009 you were racing silver crown in milwaukee and um i remember ed we we rode to the track with ed and you know we were gonna leave like after indycar practice he was like no we gotta stay and watch jimmy race and then i gotta say bye to jimmy uh, <laughs> it was like 10 or 11 a night <laughs> oh, oh that was yeah that was actually if it was that late that might have been the 05 event when okay. IndyCar and yeah. Silver Crown and yeah it rained all day and so we thought we were done I was back at the hotel and then they called me and said no no we're going to run the Crown Race this evening and I'm like well, how the track doesn't have lights and I remember going down the front straightaway and you could actually see the street lights down in the corner more than you could see anything else like i had a a, a dark visor on and like that was rough <laughs> like it was rough rough hey how great how great was milwaukee to run though it was oh, awesome it milwaukee was... is awesome we uh we ran the crown car in midget there you can't explain how flat that track is to a, a regular you know if somebody that hasn't been on it you can't explain how flat it is <laughs> you, know? right. you really can't that, uh, so it's probably more like a road course then, right? As far as approaching the track, it was Milwaukee, just its own little beast. Like the corner, and not only was it flat, and you almost—I wouldn't call it an oval, and I wouldn't call it a road course because not only was it flat, 
but the corners were so long. Like mm-hmm. you just, you felt like you were in it forever. And oh, I'm just at the apex. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God, there's still a whole nother half to go. And, and especially in 05, when I ran it in the Indy car, you know, the crown car, it was, is what it is. You know, those big beasts, you know, it's two corners, still really long corners, but in 05 and Indy car, you know, when you actually, those things, you know, cause the power band's so tight, just like nowadays, you know, you had a shift. And I remember there, you know, we would, for some reason, there was like a slick spot in turn two there, a bump, slick spot, whatever it was. And so we would all downshift to turn, you know, to fourth gear, getting down in between one and two. And by the time you got back to the start finish, you know, you were back to sixth gear and then going into one, it was two real quick downshifts again. And then you work your way back up to it. And it was like, man, this is, this is just weird doing all this for an oval, you know, like, like you say, to slow down this much for a turn and then turn three and four i mean you were dang near flat you know it was just so weird the difference yeah in uh boy that's a shame that's off the schedule oh. i i sure hope one of these days they get that figured out up there i don't know if they ever will but uh, uh, there's yeah. some real that i wish they get back on the schedule but milwaukee's definitely one of them that was that was a fun one Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky was a great one too. Loved well, going to that race. Me too. That was a fun track. <laughs> so, when was so so your IndyCar and, and your stock car deals have just kind of do as they do. They start kind of going away. Uh, when was when was the last time you raced? Like the last time you got in a car and ran? Um. Vintage stuff or actually full-fledged real race car? <laughs> well, now I realize that there's a lot of vintage guys who who try to race as if they're racing, racing. But yeah. I'm talking like a more of a you know car today. Okay, yeah, because like those, I mean, even that SVRA stuff, you know, we do over at Speedway. I mean, those are fun, fun race cars. Oh yeah. Oh, you yeah. did the the Legend race, right? That they had with the 33 drivers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Spike, did Spike did that too, Scott. Yeah, I remember that, that. Those cars were beast and so much fun i mean we did it up until you know last year just you know because the first year they didn't have it because the pandemic but um before that i think i think it would have been either 13 or 14 um you know i I did some of the the must-see sprint car races and then i also did some dirt wing stuff um you know over missouri so ran some races over there well jacksonville illinois and you know a couple tracks over in missouri but uh and then yeah i think i think that was it for actual like non-vintage stuff like real current stuff that i actually actually race against current drivers do you ever think about today like man i uh see if anybody got a midget ride or anything yeah. like that the only thing i would i think I, like yeah obviously may you know i miss indy but like i'm i'm not built for an indy car anymore so that 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 ship sailed but i still wish like there's still sometimes where i would love to climb in a sprint car sometime you know, like that's the only thing that I really there's sometimes that I mean, I miss everything. If I see a midget race on TV, I, you know, I miss it. Oh, my God. I wish I was in a midget on a sprint car. Oh, my God. I wish I was in a sprint car. I watch Indy 500. Oh, my God. I wish I was in an Indy car. But a sprint car is the only thing nowadays that I think it, it, if a car owner called and said, hey, would you run my sprint car that I would do whatever it took to make sure that I was able to last the full event of a sprint car <laughs> racing, you know, do the best job I could. I heard, I uh, I spotted last weekend for Shane Hollingsworth in Little Five Hundred. Have you ever done Little Five Hundred? Two of them. 
Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if you had or not. Yeah, 96 and I think 13. Who'd you drive for in 13? Uh, Mike Blake. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, I kept, Mike. I kept telling Mike the, the right rear feels like it's bottomed out all the way down the straightaway. Like I'm literally spinning out all the way down the straightaway. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. This is the way this car's been. And then we found out afterwards when I we went to a test after that. And we put a zip tie on the right rear shock to see how far it was traveling. And it bottomed out so bad it blew the zip tie off. And then I had to explain to him, so you wouldn't listen to me last week. And you just made me run 500 laps of literally a right rear bottomed out the whole time. Like, I can't believe we didn't crash. We survived. We ran 500 laps. I deserve something for that. I deserve a medal. I deserve a prize. I deserve something. Mike Blake, another one of the true characters of auto racing, man. There is not another Mike Blake that I know of. No, absolutely not. So this is a question we always kind of ask all of our guests, and it's uh, it's meant to be a way for you to acknowledge people who help, have helped you along the way or, or a certain person or however you want to do it. And, and, you know, we've had people answer with their family members. We've had people answer with, I mean, just uh, not obscure people, but people you never uh, expect. Um, so kind of tell us who is, who's like one person you could kind of point to or maybe a group of people you kind of point to that you can say, man, if it wasn't for them, you know, I, I'm, I may not have made it to where I got. Man, that's... And it's funny, as you were saying it, I was thinking back to all the people that have been influential. Yeah. Obviously, you know, mom and dad's number one, you know, because sure. they supported me and everything. But, I mean, we can go back as far as, like I was saying a while ago, that when I was at my grandma's house visiting that day, that two guys named Mike and Joe Harris that said they were going to a sprint car race that night. If if they would not have been going to a sprint car race that night, yeah. doing, you know, who knows where I'd be or or whatever. I mean, it's... It's something as crazy as you know, thinking those guys, you know, they're they're actually besides mom and dad, you know, they they might be the most influential people and they don't even know it and you know, don't even know anything about it. But Mike and Joe Harris, I mean, they back when I was five years old, you know, that could be the most influential people I ever ever know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I agree with that because you gotta if you didn't grow up in it, you gotta find it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, you know, you're not the first person who's said that. I mean, we've had guests on from Brazil and, and that whose neighbors had a go-kart. Or they saw one just being towed down the street going to a race, and they become infatuated by it. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. It, it's a um, – it, it really – and um, it's funny. I was talking to Robin the other night, and she was – Talking about a friend of hers had a little boy. He was so excited to go to the race, and something happened. He wasn't able to go. And, uh, you, you know, I, and you, I felt so bad for him because he's five years old. And it's such a uh, – man, especially for little kids, it really kind of seems like that's a time period where you find that thing that you love. Mm-hmm. Uh, as crazy as it sounds. It is. And it doesn't matter if it's racing, whether it's baseball, football, or sure. whatever. It's it's so funny that there's so many kids in this world, and it's like you that they know that young what they're going to do the rest of their life, or at least what they're going to pursue the rest of their life. I mean, there there is nothing that 
amazes me and just makes me realize how fortunate I was that you see people graduating high school, 18, or even in college that you ask them, you know, what do you want to do? And they still, I don't know, like they still don't know what they want to do. And it's just, it's crazy that I was so fortunate that I knew, I mean, like I said, when I was single digits, I I knew what I want to do the rest of my life. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, Aaron, you got uh, other follow-ups for this gentleman? Well, there's so there's one question I always ask people who who drove an Indy, and this is a very open question. Um, what when you hear when you hear the the word Indy, what what does that mean to you? Just like it, it's to me, it's like I think about Indy, and I just I feel like it's its own planet. Like you know, when you when you come in. When you go in the gate, whether you're walking in the gate, whether you're driving in the gate, as soon as you pull inside that place, it's its own planet. You know, right. we, we, you know, my dad mentioned it when I was younger, but I mean, it's like, it's funny when I got older and drove in, I mean, it's like, you really almost can hear, you know, like the spirits and, you know, just the, when, when you just, even if nothing's going on that day and you, you pull in, like, whether you're just going to the museum or something. If you just stop and just look at the stands for a minute and just listen, I mean, you can just hear and feel the history of that place. And it's just, it's just like for a little time when you're inside that place, it's like you're, you're not in the rest of the world doesn't matter. You're in, in indie time. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't agree with that anymore. Um, man, I, I, I just can't tell you how many times I've been there where it's, it's felt that way for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I, it just, it never changes. It it, it has never changed for me, for me, from the time I was a little kid to this past Sunday. Yeah, I agree. And I, it just, uh, I don't think, I, I, I don't know. You know, what's so funny is, as when you, like when you would have people come to town, when you lived in Indy mm-hmm. and you drive by the speedway and they'd never seen it before. They would say, "Is that is that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway?" And you know, Georgetown, and it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, and you see, and I used to drive by it every night on my way home from work, and you see people of all nationalities uh, parked across the street at Jim Bob Lupert's place, (laughs) and they're taking selfies either either from there with the speedway behind them. Well, they've parked their car there and they've walked across the street and they're taking photos in front of the entrances. And it's, uh, it just never changes. But you know, it's, it's kind of funny too, is you were talking about it's its own planet, especially in the time that you come back to Indy. Indy itself was its own planet. Like, uh, you know, we had racing themed bars. Uh, you know, it's, you know, a lot of the drivers are still pretty young. So you were seeing all of them out at like the Gilberry's. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Union, Union Jacks. Jacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was like a little community in a way. Man, remember that store? Um, it, it was by Cole Scott. Um, it was the Simpson Speed World or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So yep. he he did a deal. Like the reason why those were open is because Bill had did a deal with uh, some absorbent type stuff he was doing as well. And he kind of sold a part off. So, he, you know, and that's one of the things that they did when they 
they did that business model where they put the Simpson stores inside the uh, strip mall. Yeah. I mean, it's just a little strip mall. Yeah. And uh, Joe Devin's wife worked there. Um, <laughs> I remember that, that Joe Devin's wife was working there. Joe Devin for people, he builds DRC sprint car chassis, midget chassis and that. But uh, yeah, it's, it is, it is funny. Well, Jimmy, for me, it's been a pleasure seeing you again talking to you you got great stories um and you you really man um i know it didn't may have turned out in the stat book like you wanted but man you, you got you can't say you didn't live the dream no, I, great memories and i i mean when it all comes you know down to it that's that's what really matters you know, met some amazing people and that's that's the best part of it you know at least we still have these memories to talk about and i mean you know sitting on here getting to talk to you and you know other people you know i've met out there it's that's like you said when it when it comes down to it that's that's what i'll carry with me you know till the day i die <laughs> yeah and i hope to see you more do you are you do you ever get out to any of the local races or anything or every once in a while you know some you know dodge actually has got a, a a sprint car deal he's going to run that circle center thing this year so i'm going to try to get out to some of those so if he yeah if he, i'm going to try to get out some of those and watch him I think I saw somewhere where he had put together a car for that. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. He did it that first night and it's brand new motor and it's way more than he needs for there. So he's like, Oh my God, that, that is a lot to learn. <laughs> you know, detuning these things now. Right. And Jeff Dodge, for people who don't know, he got his chance to run Indy lights through running Knoxville. Yep. He, Knoxville he, rookie of the year. <laughs> yeah. Knoxville rookie of the year. Uh, Knoxville. Speedway where Knoxville Nationals for the sprint cars are at, and uh, I forget how it all came about, but he ended up getting uh, Indy Lights right out of the deal, yep. and that's how I first met him when he first moved to Indy. Yep. Amazing opportunities. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Jimmy, it's been a pleasure. Like I said, I hope to see you around. Midget Week starts tonight from Paragon. It's on Flow Racing. Uh, I plan to go watch it as soon as I dump Aaron here in a bit, and. Uh, and so, like I said, I know I've said this three times already, but man, it's so nice seeing you and so nice to talk to you. By the way, Jimmy, we were talking, so right before so you were talking a little bit about what you're doing and now. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. No, it's it's good. It, uh, you know, me and my wife actually have a company out here in Brownsburg, you know, Mindy's Brownsburg Signs, where we're actually, you know, signs, vinyl decals, you know, you know starting to do more car wrap stuff. Um, you know, most of it's vinyl decals, but we're starting to nitpick into the car wrap stuff, you know, more corporate stuff. But, um, you know, anybody needs any vinyl work or signed stuff, you know, give us a ring out here in Brownsburg. Where now, in, in, is it located at uh, the industrial park or is it located like no, by your house? Yeah, uh, it's it's actually on Main Street, 205 East Main Street. So it's uh, it's kind of in between um, the industrial park and uh, and 267. So right, actually right like a block away from the, the fire department. Oh. Right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I grew up in Brownsburg, so yeah. Yeah. In, in typical Scott style, I told the man to to pump his business when we we're done, and then I was going to run him off without doing it. So I know. Thank you guys. For <laughs> hey man, like I said, been a pleasure, bud. My pleasure. You guys have a good one. Thank you. Take See care. You. Bye, Thanks, Jimmy. Bye.